Yo, food beast. Welcome back to the catch up, the coronavirus edition, the bullshit edition. Ah, it's it's your boy Eli. I'm joined today with, uh, of course, my co-host Jeff and uh, food beast managing editor Reach. We are practicing our social distancing on what's funny enough, a, a new format of the catch-up that we have been planning and gearing up for. And then just like everyone else in the world, it, whatever they thought got upended entirely. So we are all recording from the comforts of our home and uh, over some something called a squad cast where we can see each other's face moments after we say something so we're gonna see how this shit works jeff and i have long not been fans of recording interviews over uh phone and skype but you know the world spoke differently uh and so we just we just wanted to let you guys know that this this episode and format of the catch-up even though it's called the coronavirus edition we had been planning to kind of shake up how we do the catch-up we we have long interviewed people in these really great kind of one hour robust sessions, people from the food industry, people adjacent to the food industry. And we wanted to keep that as a segment that we do, uh, but kind of turn catch up into more of a variety hour where we kind of bring in parts of food beast that we love everything from stuff that you might see on Instagram to some of the shows and the people that make food beast tick that's made food beast so thankfully popular in, in the previous years. So we wanted to make sure to kind of bring that energy into the catch up as well. So under these unfortunate circumstances, this is uh, the coronavirus episode. What's up, uh, Jeff Reach? What's good, man? Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. A little housekeeping up front. The, the segments you can expect uh, a little bit later this episode. Um, one is a segment we've, we've actually been going somewhat viral on on TikTok called Ask Costa. And Costa uh, is our food beast food scientist. And he, uh, it just started randomly around the office and I just started asking him questions on TikTok. Like, yo, how do I turn steak into Wagyu meat? Uh, can, can I take grapefruit with my medication? And dude is just a Google encyclopedia of, of this shit. And everyone on TikTok is just as amazed as I am when I ask him a question. So we're going to bring him on a little bit later for an Ask Costa section about are canned goods as good as the fruits and vegetables in their fresh format? And so he, he's been researching and writing extensively recently. So stay tuned to that segment. And then uh, we have uh, Jeff, you're going to be leading the segment with Jonathan Mays. Yeah, who's a editor-in-chief of, of Restaurant Business um, and someone who has just written a big part of his career completely surrounded with the restaurant industry. And I think... You know, the three of us, I'd say, you know, are are pretty tied into the restaurant industry being a part of Food Beast. Um, but we do we do cover a lot outside of the restaurant industry as well. Uh, I mean, from recipes to what you can pick up at a grocery store to all sorts of things. Um, and so I really wanted to get uh, Jonathan's perspective. Um, and we're going to ask about uh, restaurant bailouts. Um, we're going to ask about the level of impact to this economy um, and a whole bunch more. Um, so guys, definitely stay tuned for that coming up. Yo, could we give a quick shout out? One, restaurants are, it's tough for restaurants. It's, it's, tough for, it's tough for everyone, man. It's tough for everyone right now. So we just hope that, you know, 
we can do our best and just being there. Hope you guys are whatever you're doing at home, cleaning the dishes, uh, fucking mopping the floor, whatever. I hope that you know we're just here for you and you guys can can hang out with us a little bit. Um, but shout out to Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz for catching that Corona first. Can we can we take a minute and talk about how? freaking momentous that dude catching the coronavirus genuinely i'll you know all shitting aside like i felt that we were not taking this shit seriously until an nba player caught the coronavirus like the, the, the league got shut down basically and then, and then a lot of leagues there thereafter followed suit because they're like oh let's start testing our athletes and from there athletes were being tested positive and then down, downhill from there. Yeah, man, all joking aside, it really was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back of forcing us to actually look at this shit when you start taking away key parts of our society that, that we love, you know? Yeah. Like, key parts like, so food, food, we're gonna get to, this whole podcast is about food, but I know at least for, for us three, like, we love basketball, and that was kind of, that's one of our entertainment getaways so you take basketball away well fuck that's pretty serious and then you take disneyland away well that's pretty serious and and it just took it felt like it took that because we weren't really getting that from our government we didn't really understand that this shit was that serious i didn't they were dumb yeah i mean it was it was less than a week ago i mean when that when that i mean it was a little over a week ago actually it was wednesday of last week but as i was sitting down with a colleague over dinner in a public restaurant um, and I'd actually done so multiple nights early last week because I just had these things scheduled for weeks um, and it was before social distancing um, was put into effect across you know cities counties states um, federally Um, but it really was that news to me that uh, about the NBA essentially canceling or not canceling uh delaying its season that seemed uh for me uh was a big wake-up call because for the for we i mean we work in the world of media and um when live sports something that is i think a pillar of americana um goes away um and you know america also has the premier leagues across so many of the professional sports, um, you know, we're talking big economic. I knew from that moment we were talking huge economic impact um, on some level, and we're still trying to figure it out in the meantime. But uh, but yeah, that when I remember that breaking and then the the league announcement, I was like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared for for everyone. I mean, yo, the Lakers were on one. The Lakers had just beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They had just beat the Clippers, two of the other three, top three premier teams in the it league. This is our year. I was like, this is our year. And speaking of this is our year, this is like, okay, so that's the all fun games, but it's just so fucked up because, I, you know, I've been hearing from so many people that 2020 was the year, right? Like 2020 is that year where you're going to get your bag. And then seeing all that shit just kind of pulled out from under you um, and kind of like bringing it back home to like how what it looked like inside Food Beast. You know, what was it like a week and a half ago that I mean, just for perspective, too, I have a fucking knee surgery that I had just picked because like, oh, this is probably a good time. Like business is good. Um, I had been planning for two or three months to get my like elective knee surgery done or for a week I could be hopped up on my meds and then the next week I would be able to kind of tune in remotely to the office, just support here and where I can, but our team is good. They don't really, you know, need that. And then I felt like the dude from Walking Dead waking up in that hospital Rick and then Grimes. going home, Rick Grimes going home and realizing that the world had changed. The world had changed. and. I remember uh, we were looking at the content that we had filmed and that we were getting ahead on. It was going to certain uh, Chinese restaurants. We were we had a great piece on this uh, place called Mr. Frogman. And we were already discussing, because there is the murmurs of, 
you know, the origins of the coronavirus and where and, and how. And we, we always are doing our best at Food Beast and, and the videos that we produce, the content we produce that we not only want to take care of our messaging, we're, we're looking after the restaurants and the people behind the restaurants to make sure that the haters online don't have any excuse or any reason to be able to make fun of these people. Um, and so let's talk about Mr. Frogman for, for a minute. Reach, can you tell us a little bit about like what Mr. Frogman is, why we were covering it, and then yeah. like why and what we did with that content? Mr. Frogman is a Chinese restaurant in Tustin um, that obviously, as the name suggests, they do serve frog and it's a, they treat it as their specialty. So there's a number of dishes in there that are frog. Crazy to us Westerners, but, you know, in other parts of the world, frog is regularly eaten. And the reason we want to highlight that is because that's a unique experience and any unique dining experience that sheds light to a new a new thing for us, not so much that we're discovering it, but more so we're learning about it, um, is always a valuable thing to cover. So we went there, we went filmed the news video. Um, video was already in production. It was ready to launch about a week away. And then um, shit started to unfold in terms of this uh, the fallout of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. It started with a trickle of um, reports of xenophobia, um, racism against Asians and all that stuff. And a lot of misinformation was going around thinking, oh, it's because um, Chinese people eat bats and Chinese people eat these weird things and that's why they get it. Um, set the record straight, it didn't come straight from the bat. You can't directly get it from the bat. It takes an intermediary animal that's infected by the bat to then go to another human. Um, but then we were faced with the decision that uh, we got the gardener outside. We got the lawnmower. <laughs> Yo, this is the Everybody out here mowing their lawns right now. Shout um, out to Rudy. <laughs> but um, now we were forced to think like, all right, if we present this video, Mr. Frogman, and we're eating these unusual for the Western palate dishes. That proliferate the stereotype of Asians eating weird things. Like yeah, and I, and I, and I think I think it's really important to address the um, I think the conversation, the exact conversations that we were having um, internally, uh, because uh, when that when that happened, um, you know, we had to have the conversation of do we need to publish this content. Uh, with a certain uh, stance. Um, And I think that was one of the first times where, you know, uh, there's not that many times where uh, we're asking as a company, um, do we take a stance with this content? Um, And it was something that we felt at that time uh, that we were going to continue to publish the restaurants were still open then too. It was so this. This the, is like that. The, yeah, that's the this was this was like two weeks ago where the restaurants were still open. Um, publications uh, like uh, Neck Shark and different Instagram accounts were showcasing the different levels of verbal abuse, violence that was happening to Asians and Asian and Asian Americans uh, in different parts of the country and. Uh, while the restaurants were still open, we were preparing for launch with a certain stance of saying something along the lines of, you know, we are as food beasts, our mission is to showcase uh, less well-known foods. Um, it's to showcase our curiosity. It's to dive into culture through the lens of food. Um, and we were ready to publish that content. Um, and I think, and then the restaurants start closing or then the restaurants that we're featuring aren't even open. Um, and, and then, yeah, we have to make another decision. And so I think that was, all of this was a pretty difficult time because we were preparing for a certain circumstance that 
was rapidly changing by the hour. I mean, I think over the past week, you could you could literally kind of check your phone every couple of hours and there was a headline that shocked you or made you feel some type of way on some level, right? Whether it was the types of people getting a virus, whether it was the county and state and federal mandates that kept changing, you know, whether it was the effects to certain types of business or economy. I mean, it was just, uh, the lack of the lack of information top down, I think is what fucked us. Cause I think some of the anxiety that we had in the coverage of restaurants moving forward was what is food beast as a media company with a voice to be able to disseminate information what is our obligation to these restaurants and to the people so there's restaurants and there's people here in this conversation so for the restaurants we felt our obligation was to get people in the door like these are you know hundreds of thousands of businesses with millions of people and employees that depend on people coming in the door. So we don't have any information coming top down from government bodies of, is it safe to go into restaurants? We don't know that. I mean, again, Jeff, you're mentioning as of two weeks ago, you were still going in to business meetings for lack of knowledge of anything. You didn't, you wouldn't have gone if you knew that like social distancing was a thing, but like we weren't, that far away. So that is kind of the, the anxiety that we had as content creators and content creators with, you know, an obligation to continue to cover restaurants because not only is it good for the restaurants, it's also important for the people who need to eat and patronize those restaurants and enjoy it. So for us, things change so fast but every time we would publish something about a restaurant, even if it was like to this day, I still don't know if it is completely safe to tell someone to go get takeout from a restaurant. And here's, let me explain why both sides of that come. Like restaurants are going to do their darndest right now. And I don't blame them at all to say, Hey, we are following all of our health sanitation guidelines even more so now. And, but who are we asking to come into work at this point? We are now asking those employees to go into work by being in the drive-thru. I feel the same way about the grocery stores. Like those people are on the front lines the same way the doctors are on the front lines, nurses are on the front lines. So there's, it's really confusing top down. Like if they just had a directive that you should not be near each other, then like I will stop going to In-N-Out Burger today. But as of right now, In-N-Out Burger is open. And that's how, and, and we know everything. We know what happened in Italy. Chinese, the, China has, has, has fixed the curve. It, it was awful. You know, the process was awful, but we saw them building hospitals. Who, all the mumbo jumbo that we might hear from the top, that information was kind of laggy. It was enough. They don't, China's not just gonna build hospitals for no reason. That should be a trigger warning. There's also so many other great publications right now that are doing work that are unveiling how much our, our government knew about this. So that's what's, that's what's tough and, and harrowing about like just us trying to continue to give out content. And then now it's like we've now positioned every day positions it a little bit more where, you know, now our focus is also on showing people what to do at home creatively with your food to make sure not only is it satiating and healthy for you and, and, and also just how does it entertain you? How is it fun? Cause it looks like we're going to be up in our houses for a very long time. So, you know, we continue to have a mission that changes at every course, but you know, all of the, you know, overwhelming amount of like GoFundMes and people sharing their, what, like, you know, what coupon codes to use, all of it, like, is just this, like, devastating band-aid of something that, like, we still don't have a conscious understanding of, is it safe and humane for us to tell people to go to restaurants right now? Yeah, there's a, there's a duality in, in a lot of different things right now, right? Because um, at the same time, 
the three of us and I think the majority of our staff uh, don't necessarily want to do anything to increase the chances of, um, you know, potentially spreading something that we're not aware of or getting something um, that someone else is not aware of. Um, and, and yeah, that, that duality of watching how, what, watching what's currently happening as we record this podcast, the devastation of what I think to be millions of restaurants, um, across the world, um, while also doing everything we can to make sure that this pandemic doesn't get even further. I mean, that's the thing is like these businesses and these people and their livelihoods, our livelihoods are all caught in the crosshairs of, um, of that duality. And so, you know, I think for me, um, when I woke up Monday morning after, you know, we had already had a week of being remote, um, is I woke up with a renewed sense of duty that, uh, that I have responsibilities as a co-founder and member of Food Beast to tell stories that, that help people, that help businesses, because um, this is more important than some of the business operation stuff we do. Our, our coverage and support is more important um, than a lot of the things that we get the luxury of doing because we're storytellers and, and content creators. And so that mission, I think, um, is, I don't know, at least for me, it's a bit of a silver lining of like, I think we have people who are watching and listening and reading that we can share good information to and get through this together. Uh, another thing that it was a, a bit of a small pivot for us in terms of content that I started to look into was just, um, and we're not going to be able to cover restaurants the same way we we have been doing but now it's like all right what are some consumer packaged goods that um are interesting and people can go and, and get at their store uh so that i'm now keeping an eye out on stuff that people can just buy off the shelves i know i know we cover that in some capacity but now it's like i'm having a more um open mind in towards of covering a wider range of consumer packaged goods because people are at home the only thing they can go out right now is probably to the bank and to the grocery store and probably to get out, get some food. So, um, yeah, that's another thing I, uh, we had to take into consideration in terms of covering content. And that, and that was crazy because on Monday, right, we, we were making an active decision to find ways that you can directly support um, at least restaurants where we're based in, in the L.A. region, right? And so... Monday you know, being like five days ago, just five to give days ago. Context, yeah, yeah. when you're listening to this. Yeah. We're recording this on a Friday. Yeah. Um, but you know, so we're talking about, uh, this great Oaxacan restaurant, Gelaguetza can, you know, is selling its moles online and, and we're talking about some of the e-commerce ice cream or meal kits or jams that are available from these great chefs and, and restaurants. Um, and <laughs> In the midst of Reach and myself and Mark and a bunch of us trying to curate it, the amount of people that we can't cover in this list is monumentous. Um, like, so we we're picking, we're trying to pick an editorial list uh, again. Like what Reach said, consumer packaged products or like goods that you can use as an ingredient or as a part of your meal that you make at home because we know that covering every restaurant doing delivery or every restaurant doing takeout, which is the only restaurants that are open for the most part right now. Um, and I say that because there are different state to state bans affecting restaurants a little bit differently, but you know, it was like, I have 50 emails in my inbox of, of restaurants that want to be featured we're going to do our best with the, the content that we can put out, but I still feel so devastated that I just like, even with our audience, even with our content, even with our content team, like I can't, I can't help more than I can. And I think it's frustrating. 
Yeah. Eater had a really good article, and, and this is one of those times where it doesn't matter the publication that it's coming from. We fuck with Eater, they're friends of ours. And uh, they wrote that, like, you know, the only thing that is going to help these restaurants is a bailout. Like, there is no, there is no, again, it, when it's, if it was one restaurant, if it was two, and I think that's the silver lining in all of it is that we are all in this shit together. Like, it is no one's fault. It is no one's, like, you are a bad business person. You are not a great chef. It is not your fault. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's cool to see these, yeah, and cool is such the wrong word, but it's, you know, it's, it's enlightening to see the GoFundMes because just the community is trying to take care of itself because no one else is fucking taking care of them. No one else helped them give them this foresight, even though people had this foresight. It's really frustrating, um, but it, de- it definitely felt like in this past week, we were like in a tailspin and did not know how to help. You know, we did what we could. We shared what we did. And I had that same renewed energy, Jeff, like kind of after our Monday morning meeting uh, as I was kind of weaning off the meds from my operation. But the idea was I was like, I'm giddy right now to keep sharing content that's either making me laugh or teaching me something new about food. Um, And then, you know, just kind of battling the, I know everyone right now is at home on their phones, on their computers, just looking at news that is just not good. You know, even, you know, my, our goal here is, and I know we were, we're talking about a lot of the negatives and I want us to get into kind of how we're coping too as people. So you guys can kind of relate, maybe get some good ideas on just how to get on with your day. Because later on in this podcast, there's going to be a segment where we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about restaurants with a great professional who's going to talk us through it. But, you know, how have you guys been like, what does your day look like when you're clocking out of food beast work? And I know like clocking out is tough too, but what are you, what are you guys doing? Are you doing any FaceTiming with your friends and fam? Are you cooking? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so we're using Zoom to do just group FaceTimes just to check up on each other. And it's good that we do it in groups because you could do, we all have, you know, different friends and pockets of friends. We could check in on one pocket of uh, friends through, you know, group uh, video chats. Uh, you guys heard of Netflix party yeah. on, a, on a Chrome extension? Yeah, hi, dude. So we're, um, I'm uh, trying to set up something where it's like we could have like a weekly watch party through Netflix party or something like like we'll start a series and have that as a weekly watch party. So those are some of the things I've been doing um, personally, just catching up on more reading in books and working on, on mixes. Oh, DJ Reach. DJ Reach. Yeah. Yeah, man. Jeff, you've been cooking? What have you been doing? Um, yeah, I won't lie to you guys. I think for the most part, it's been... Uh, I can't... My mind can't leave uh, COVID-19 too much. Um, and not to be like a, a, a downer as we're trying to talk about uplifting things. Um, but I think the mission of Food Beast is still the most uplifting thing that I can think of, um, that I get to lean into something that a lot of amazing people have built to, to help cope. Um, you know, again, that, like you mentioned, Eli, it's whether watching some of that content distances, distances you for a second, whether makes you laugh for a second um whether it inspires you which is i think hopefully with more of our recipe content that we're debuting from our archives we'll continue to do um you know that's kind of all the things that i think i have that i'm that i'm doing is how can i funnel the energy back into um helping as many people as possible yeah that's kind of been a, a balancing act of my day as well. So again, the content never stops and it's really hard to separate and our work days are getting longer. Um, they're actually not getting much shorter at Food Beast. Um, just hearing what's going on with restaurants, hearing what's going on with people and all the adjacent businesses that it affects, man. It's, it's, it's wild. But um, I feel I feel I feel good about this segment, and I, I hope we introduced you guys and acclimated you to what uh, the the new catch up can look like. 
And we really do appreciate you guys. Um, and then on to the next one. Hey, Costa. What's up, Eli? What is this I'm hearing that you wrote about that canned goods are as fresh or as good as the real thing, the real vegetable or the real fruit? Yeah, that's a real thing. So what I was getting to in that is kind of why canned foods can be as nutritious or even more nutritious than the fresh foods you might be buying in grocery stores. What? So that has to do with the time it takes to process and get the fresh food to grocery stores versus the time it takes for food to get into cans. Okay, so you're just talking about the time it takes from, you know, picking a pineapple to getting it into a can is usually quicker than picking a pineapple and getting it to a grocery store. Yeah, exactly. So pineapples in grocery stores probably will take a couple of weeks to get there or a few days to a couple weeks somewhere in that time range that's time where the nutrients are degrading mm. and kind of just breaking down however when you can pineapple you are sealing in all of those nutrients basically at the peak of freshness so they're all staying there there's some that may break down some water soluble vitamins might leach out or get destroyed due to heat. However, it will retain more of the nutrients when you can it and basically sterilize it right at that point after it comes off of the tree or off of the plant. So talk to me. Uh, I didn't know this before I read your article, but so everything in a canned good, whether it's a vegetable, fruit, legume, whatever, it gets cooked. Is that true? Yeah, all canned food has to go through a sterilization process. That's how it stays shelf-stable and basically able to stay at room temperature without going bad for months. So all canned food goes through a heat sterilization as of right mm. now. So basically what they do is they fill up the cans with the food, they seal them, make them airtight, and then they subject them to a lot of heat. And that heat cooks the food, oftentimes overcooks it when you think like tuna or other stuff like that. Okay. But that heat is necessary to kill the bacteria in order to make that food stay good for as long as it does. Yo, that's wild. So when, when people kind of think of canned goods and equate it with being unhealthy or chock full of preservatives, is that true in, in all cases or some cases or should we be rethinking about how we think of the preservatives in canned goods? I think most people when they say there's a bunch of preservatives in canned goods, they're listening to food myths. So really the only true preservative that is in all canned foods is heat. That's what's getting rid of those bacteria and then the airtight environment that prevents regrowth of most bacteria and then the heat inactivating any spores of any bacteria that might be able to grow without air that's the key factor there there may be some salts there may be some sugar or maybe someone puts a little bit of acid in however those are going to be things that you do to keep color from changing it might be for some flavor things like that maybe help the texture a little bit but those are probably the only things you'll see is like maybe some salt maybe some sugar Maybe a little bit of like a citric acid or something like that. So the salt and sugar as preservatives in a lot of the canned goods could technically be done without if you didn't necessarily care what the item ended up looking like or tasting like. Is that right? Or is it just a matter? Is it entirely a flavor and color thing that we see kind of high points of sodium in canned goods? Yeah, that's really the main thing. Those canned foods could be made without salt. It just wouldn't have as much flavor, and you would probably see some changes in color and texture, too. Yo, that's wild. And this is a good time. What prompted you to write this? So, actually, I've been doing a food science stream on Twitch, and someone asked me about canned foods. They hmm. asked me why canned foods stay as good for as long as they do. And I know that with the coronavirus, there's a lot of questions about the types of foods that we're buying and eating and consuming right now. Canned foods are virtually being wiped off of shelves right now, which is crazy. I was at the store the other day and 
There was a lot of fresh food available, but basically all the canned goods were gone as people are stockpiling. Wow. Well, thank you for the information, Costa. And everyone, you can find Costa on our TikTok. TikTok. Search Young Y-U-N-G Food Beast. And Costa's going viral, man. So we're going to keep asking him questions. If you guys have a question, jump over to TikTok and ask away, and we will get you in on the next Catch Up Podcast. So Costa, thanks for your help, bro. Yeah, no problem. Jonathan Mays is the editor-in-chief at Restaurant Business Magazine and hosts the restaurant podcast, A Deeper Dive, wherever you can listen to podcasts. I've got managing editor of Food Beast, Reach Ginto, here with me. I'm Jeff Kutnick. Jonathan, let's dive in. Has the restaurant industry ever experienced something like coronavirus before? Uh, nothing nothing even nothing even close to this it was it's like um i've likened it to if uh uh if 9-11 and uh the credit crisis were wrapped up into one and this would still be worse um this is a um uh, this is a shock of of epic proportions it's affecting everybody it doesn't matter whether it's subway or it's danny meyer's restaurants or it's alinea everybody's been affected um in in a really really big way and uh it's uh it's going to have reverberations for years based based on the news um and the data that we have right now uh how drastically with the information again that we have do you think each our own city to city uh, rest restaurants um how are they going to be affected well um i mean the they're they're all going to be affected in some way or another nobody is going to get out of this unscathed unless you're just doing pizza delivery or uh maybe you're sonic um but you know for the most part uh you're just going to see a lot of restaurants are going to lose a lot of sales um uh higher end restaurants that uh really dealt with uh business travelers or um just a lot of dine-in sales so you're you know your your uh nice restaurants in new york city and in los angeles and in chicago uh they're getting hammered right now um they're they're losing all of their they've lost all of their reservations they've had to close down uh lay off a bunch of workers uh but you're also seeing it uh happen with uh little concepts like subway or um you know even mcdonald's or you know other concepts where they're all losing a lot of sales and what's going to happen is a lot of these restaurants going to close because they can't survive it jonathan i saw you um had a tweet about bloomin brands owner of outback steakhouse and the company said it has 400 million in cash reserves does that mean they're going to be quote-unquote unscathed um well, no, it, it's not. So what they're doing is is companies like Outback and Darden, and which owns uh, Olive Garden, uh, Texas Roadhouse, uh, Noodles and Company just did this today, is what they're doing is they're drawing down on their credit lines. And they're doing that to, to basically stockpile cash because they know that they're not going to get any revenue. Well, well they're going to get you know, maybe approximately, if they're lucky, 20% of their normal revenue. It really depends on, on the restaurant company. Um, and so they're going to have to survive that for the next two two to three months. And so what they're doing is that they're piling up cash to try to make sure that they can pay their bills. Like if you have a restaurant company and you were to just to shut down, right, uh, and say, all right, you know, screw, I'm just going to close down my restaurant for a couple of months, you know, not pay employees, not buy food or not do anything. You're still going to have all of these other costs. You're going to have insurance costs. You're going to have rent to pay. You are might have uh, loans that you have to, to pay back. You have all of these fixed costs in the restaurant space. And so you're just going to need cash on a day-to-day -day basis anyway um, just to pay that stuff, sort of stuff. So they have to 
you know, they're losing money like millions and millions of dollars every year. Bloomin' Brand is, or every day. Bloomin' Brand is, is losing a lot of money every day. Darden is losing a lot of money every day right now. And so they need to stockpile cash to be able to get through this period and get through it. Now, Bloomin' Brands and Darden are probably going to get through it um, and be fine. But if this thing lasts long, I mean, if this lasts like three or four months, then, then you're getting into some serious questions. How important with the data we have right now is a bailout for restaurants and what magnitude do you currently think it might need to be? Again, not knowing, I mean, the full length of how long uh, we'll be quarantined, um, but based on the data we know right now. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, I mean... You've got to you've got to say that there's got to be some sort of bailout for the restaurant space, and you'd you'd like to see it um, you'd like to see it help the little guy like the the small independent operator, you know your Bloomingdale's and your Darden's are going to survive, you know and a lot of restaurant companies that you know some of these restaurant chains that can't make it for the next couple of months they probably, um, you know they they probably were in weak financial condition to begin with, but you have a lot of like you have a ton of small mom and pop independent operators you have a lot of really small franchisees um, that are just operating on relatively thin margins anyway and um, you know and they need the assistance and they need the assistance to continue to be in business and continue to employ workers so you know any sort of bailout in my opinion needs to sort of address that particular group the the independents need more help than anything and and certainly small franchise as well. Coronavirus may be uh, maybe a huge uh, economic overcorrection, but did you think before the coronavirus happened that we were in a restaurant bubble of sorts? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so here's here's the thing. So I was um, scheduled to do um, a presentation. Um, next week, actually, uh, at a conference that's since been canceled, and it was called the New Restaurant Recession. And my thesis was that we were at the outset, well, we were in the early stages, it's already begun, of kind of this long um, sort of restaurant correction that we're going to see um, a lot of companies uh, go bankrupt. A lot of restaurant companies end up closing, and and sort of a shift in the market because, you know, there, there you know, one thing is that there are way too many restaurants out there. So the individual restaurant has a tougher time getting customers in the door. Um, everything costs more because there's a lot of restaurants out there. So lease costs cost a lot. Um, it costs a lot to staff. Uh, a restaurant and so the, the operating environment for restaurants is really difficult and you know we've seen uh, early this year we've seen a number of bankruptcies at a number of restaurants uh, Logan's Roadhouse went bankrupt um, uh, uh, Crystal went bankrupt I mean we've had a lot of different companies that have filed for bankruptcy already this year and um, and that was before um, the coronavirus even showed up in the United States. So we really were sort of facing this long, uh, very challenging period of uh, of 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 you know in the restaurant space where it where it just was it it was heading for a period of weakness and now it's getting it all at once. So it's going to be an ugly couple of months. Uh, I went to a local uh, habit restaurant um, currently or like recently acquired by Yum Brands and the experience that I had when going into that restaurant, um, I'm normally accustomed to seeing uh, maybe five or six line cooks, maybe six or seven customer service representatives of some kind. Um, when I ordered, which here in California, you could only order for pickup or delivery. When I ordered for a pickup and actually walked into that restaurant, I saw a single line cook. I saw a couple of customer service representatives. Um, I know that the entire industry is talking about um, delivery and pickup because that's the only revenue model currently available. Um, but is it significant enough for, for restaurants? Because just based what I saw labor-wise, it looked like, I mean, they're taking... A huge hit uh, revenue from a revenue standpoint. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for somebody like Habit, I mean, Habit and, you know, your McDonald's and In-N-Out and a lot of restaurant companies were sort of built for takeout anyway. Um, and uh, so theoretically, they're not going to be as or as hurt as, as much as some others. The problem, um, and so, you know, so some restaurant companies are obviously going to get hurt a, a lot more. So restaurant companies that, you know, restaurants that rely more heavily, for instance, on business diners are getting just completely obliterated right now. Um, they're down like 95% uh, or 100% in many cases if they haven't closed. Um, they are, um, you know, so they're just getting obliterated because we we're, nobody's traveling. Everybody's working at home. Uh, and then, you know, you got your Olive Gardens. And Olive Garden this week is down 60%. Uh, it's probably going to be down even more than that next week because it has now closed its dining rooms all over the country now. And... So it's, you know, it doesn't do anywhere near, and, and its takeout is, is up pretty well, uh, but it's, it's not going to do anywhere near the volumes that it, um, that it had before because, you know, it just, A, it just wasn't built for takeout. Um, and, and Habit is a, the same thing. I mean, Habit is a, a maybe a little bit of a different animal. They uh, still, you know, they still do mostly takeout. Um, but the fact of the matter is, people aren't going out anymore. You know, they're just not leaving the house nearly as much. So you're not going. So you're not going to work. You're all working at home, right? So um, if you are, uh, you're not going. You're not on your way to work. Uh, so you're not going to get breakfast on your way to work at McDonald's or Wendy's or at Starbucks. Um, you're not heading home from work, so you're not stopping to get a quick bite to eat at Habit. You're not going on a business trip, so you're not maybe stopping at Habit on the way to the airport. That sort of thing. Um, you know, you're not going to NBA games, so you're not stopping at Habit on your way to NBA games. You're not doing all of these occasions that the restaurant industry had three weeks ago are all gone. And, and that is what is hurting the restaurant industry overall um i mean it, i mean that's also just it's just hammering the industry right now i never realized it's so based on our daily routines yeah yeah our daily routines are all gone i mean and they were gone i mean you saw it last week before you know before all these states started doing things i talked to a subway operator and on the wednesday last wednesday um the 11th uh, that day he was up 11%. That day he was up 11%. By that Saturday, that Saturday he was down 41%. So now in the in in the restaurant business, you know, absent like some massive hurricane or something like that, you just don't see a 52 point swing in your day to day business like that. Um, and uh, that's exactly what happened. It's like it's like you flipped on a switch, and people stopped just started stopped leaving their house. They started staying home, and obviously because you know we're we're you know we're all being told to stay at home and not get sick and not get other people sick. So um, you know that's just absolutely devastating for the industry. And then on top of that, you pile in on all these you know these restrictions on dine-ins. Um, uh, dine-in consumption on uh, on bars and everything like that and um so yeah i mean everybody's going to be affected again some more than others but i mean you're going to see mcdonald's down like 20 20 plus percent um easily um and uh um and then and that's on the low end and that's uh, Jonathan, that's crazy quick question here about the local restaurants that have closed indefinitely What's the reality of them even being able to reopen after this is all said and done? Well, you know, I mean, that's a that's a good question. I mean, it all really depends on you know sort of their uh, their financials going into it. Um, you know, if if like for a lot of restaurants, if you know, if you're know, like they said, all right, I'm going to close, um, I'm going to close and, and ride this out for three months. Um, you might be able to talk to your lender, you know, they might, if they have a bank loan, they'll be able to talk to their lender and probably do some sort of, um, you know, they'll, they'll defer those payments later on. Uh, the landlord, you know, assuming that they are up to date on, on their rent payments, the landlord will, 
uh, probably give them a break. And, you know, so they might be able to survive if, you know, they talk to their vendors and they talk to all the people that they, they have to pay. Um, you know, they can, you know, maybe they can get uh, through those couple of months. Um, and then, you know, restarting it is hard uh, because you have to go and hire back all of your people, uh, assume they, you know, they don't, haven't found a job elsewhere. Uh, you're going to have to get your supplies in. You're going to have to tell customers you're open. And so that takes a while. And then, you know, it, it could take a little bit before customers get going again. So they're probably going to have, you know, really, on a, even on an optimistic scenario, you're probably talking another month or two before they can really get up and running. So it's like a four or five month process um you know i mean is there hope yeah i mean there's definitely hope um and certainly and and the shorter this is look all, all this stuff i'm saying the shorter this shutdown lasts the better off everybody is from an economic standpoint you know i'm not talking the health things but like from an economic standpoint the shorter this is the better off people are um and that's really really true for for little indies is uh, the closures and the effects that are happening with restaurant businesses right now. I mean, we've been inherently known restaurant margins, especially if you're independent, kind of tend to be very, very slim in the restaurant industry in comparison uh, to other industries. Is coronavirus exposing a weakness in how restaurants operate in relation to not essentially having uh, enough funds for emergency operations or because of how many restaurants just exist there's everything's so so tight um i'm just curious if you if you, jonathan if you could react to that and kind of what you're seeing yeah um i mean the issue is um yeah i mean they do especially small independents you know really do operate on very thin margins right now um and um and you know it's it's i mean i think the thing that this is really exposing is that we just have way too many restaurants so that's actually one of the biggest problems um overall right now is that we just we have um, there are just too many restaurants, and it is oversupplied. This industry has been able to to grow at uh, pretty much an exponential rate for for pretty much ever, um, except maybe a little blip during the recession. So, like for instance, like you know, for each of the past like ten years, dating back to the recession, the restaurant industry has added more locations than than um than america has added people so we've been adding restaurants at a higher than uh at a at a much higher rate than the than the country has added human beings potential consumers um so the per capita number of restaurants is up like 15 percent over the past you know 15 years so the fact of the matter is that this industry has just grown too big um people are not eating out as much as the number of restaurants would suggest that they are. And um, and that's sort of contributing to this entire environment in which it's much more difficult for the little guy to operate. Um, and, uh, and then another fact is that, look, a lot of restaurant chains, a lot of large-scale restaurant franchisees have also borrowed a lot of money um, to be able to grow and expand and and buy new uh, restaurants, and um, and that's caused some real problems, um, and you know so a lot of those companies are going to probably go under in the next couple of months because they don't have the cash to get through uh, a couple of a couple of months because they've been over leveraged to death. So um, yeah, I mean it's exposed a lot of issues with the restaurant space. That's for sure. On the podcast, we've discussed the the good and bad about delivery services, uh, you know, with apps potentially placing restaurants without their permission or taking exorbitant amounts and fees and splits. But as of right now, the the business model for restaurants seems to be keenly focused on delivery. Um, and so I'm curious about like what your temperature is uh, on just the, the value of uh, these delivery apps. 
Well, I mean, this is a good, really, really good question. I think that, I mean, this is right now over the next couple of months. I mean, delivery is a lot of what restaurants have, yeah. So they don't have, um, uh, you know, they don't have anything besides delivery and takeout. So they're going to have to survive on it. I mean, it's probably. Um, for delivery apps, this is sort of their time to shine, their ability to continue to serve a lot more customers, um, you know, to get a much greater share and to to get consumers onto their platform. Um, it's going to be really important for them. I mean, I think I tend to have a long-term concern with delivery apps overall, um, simply because I think it's expensive. And I mean, I've gone to, you know, I mean, I've gone to, if you, if I've gone to, uh, you know, when I've gone to delivery and I've compared it to what it would cost if I just went and ordered at the restaurant directly rather than yeah, through yeah. one of the third party apps, I mean, it costs you a lot of money. Yeah, um, yeah. You're, you can expect, especially if you, you know, you're not a jerk and you don't, and you tip them, you know, you're going to spend like 75, 85% premium on that order. Um, and if if not more, and that's expensive. And if we get into an economic downturn, once this thing clears up, but then we're probably going to be in an economic recession, and it's going to be a while before the economy recovers from that. I don't think there's any question about that. And then, so then you get into a situation in which um, uh, you get into the situation in which you know people are really cutting back and so are they going to keep they are they going to spend that kind of premium when they're cutting back and everything and that's a legitimate question down the line but i mean in the short term it's certainly a benefit uh the you know these these uh delivery apps definitely um will play a will play a role and restaurants need them every restaurant well not every restaurant but a large number of restaurants um that were anti-delivery just two weeks ago are suddenly working with delivery now so um a lot of them are doing it we're, we're seeing in states like california uh the the alcoholic beverage control has uh expanded or um, lifted some of the restrictions on uh, restaurants' abilities to put a packaged beer or a, even a handcrafted cocktail uh, in, into that takeout or uh, delivery meal. Um, is this too little, too late? Um, is, is this helpful? Is anything helpful? Anything is helpful. Anything that's going to drive any little bit of revenue into these restaurants um, is helpful, and um, and anything and 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 so um, enabling them to deliver liquor um, is is helpful. Enabling the, anything anything that gets them uh, cash in their hands that they didn't they would not get otherwise is definitely going to help. Um, and frankly, the best thing that's going to help these guys is if you guys all go out and get takeout on a regular basis while you're locked up in your homes. Uh, yeah, I just ordered some Postmates before this. <laughs> I had a takeout yesterday twice. Yeah, same here. Jonathan, I saw um, that Golden Sachs had predicted that about over 2 million people are going to be filing for unemployment benefits this week. Is there any projective numbers of what percentage of that would be based on the restaurant and service industry? I don't. I haven't seen any specific projections, but a a large percentage of them. I mean, the restaurant industry is. I mean, a lot of industries are getting hammered right now. Um, like uh, the events industry, for instance. My, um, you know, um, uh, the, my the parent company of of uh, of restaurant business, Winsight, owns owns some some events, and they've had to cancel those. Um, you know, you've had uh, airlines are getting hammered. You've got hotels and lodging companies are getting hammered, um, and retailers have had to do a lot of the same thing. So you've had a lot of retailers uh, having to close their doors. So. You're getting a lot of a lot of employees, I, but I would imagine a a, a fair number of uh, those uh, those employees that end up filing for unemployment are going to be are going to be from the restaurant industry without question. Restaurant industry is a very 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 big employer. It's it is, um, 
uh, it employs about uh, about 12 million people work at uh, restaurants specifically um, and I mean what I mean if you look at this if if this keeps going the way it is what you got to say at least 40 50 percent of those are gonna um, and uh, end up losing their jobs that's nuts yeah um, that yeah. is absolutely nuts what are some of the bright spots that we're seeing in the midst of kind of all this chaos I know reach we talked this morning about chefs and restaurants coming together to feed uh laid off or not working restaurant employees here locally but jonathan reach uh what have you been seeing um that's that's inspiring that we're taking hope until tomorrow Uh, well i mean i I think you've seen one thing that you've seen that I think is really great is you've seen all of these chefs and independent restaurants sort of come together to sort of kind of, you know, uh, push for one another and to have their voices heard. Um, They've been uh, you've seen a bunch of Chicago chefs have been uh, making noise with uh, the city there and with uh, Illinois and uh, you're seeing. people really advocate for this industry as a whole and i think that's that's a really good thing because they tend to get uh, frequently ignored i think or certainly they feel ignored um on the big stage and i think that's one uh real positive and then you're just seeing a lot of these guys just help one another it's um you know they are uh we have a uh we have a facebook group um, devoted to this topic and you're just seeing a lot of people just trying to help one another and uh, answer questions and just be as helpful as they can because they're all in the same boat yeah I'm, the bright spot during all this right now is just the immense amount of community that's coming out from all of this um, especially in the restaurant industry what I'm seeing is restaurants that have a surplus of food are just donating a lot of the food. Um, they're donating a lot of supplies. Even businesses in different segments, like super niche, but I see tattoo parlors that are donating their face masks and all their disinfectants to restaurants and to delivery drivers and to people who need it. So um, just the overwhelming sense of community that's... Um, coming up from all this is definitely a bright spot that I'm saying. Jonathan, in your podcast, A Deeper Dive, you guys talked about uh, the city of Chicago and the restaurant scene there uh, that seemed to mobilize uh, in some sense overnight and be able to uh, pitch local government groups on, on how a local government could support. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what happened there and potentially how important it might be for restaurant communities to mobilize across all forms of government, wherever they can find aid? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you had, um, you're talking about the, um, you're, you're talking about the local movement by the, the local sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the local chefs and stuff like to sort of push that. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, that was, again, that's, you know, going back to what happened is yet you had this very group of very influential local chefs that started pleading their case with, uh, state and local officials to try to make their concerns known. And, and look, I mean, that's, I mean, look in, in politics, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That is always, that is always true. And if you don't say anything, you're not going to get anything. And, and so the more that, you know, you know, well-known local uh, restaurants can get together and plead their case with, with local and state officials, the better off uh, they are. And the more they are going to have their concerns uh, heard because, I mean, we all love restaurants, and and um, state officials are this are like everybody else. Um, they eat out at restaurants. They don't want to see their favorite local places go either, and they're going to want to make sure they stay in business. And they're going to need to know that all of these steps that governments are taking um, to keep customers at home are going to hammer their business. And so, the best way that these, um, the best thing for any 
uh, chef, the, especially any, you know, the better known uh, the restaurant operator, the better. But anybody, any restaurant operator, the, the best thing that they can do is communicate with their state and, and local officials so they understand the scope of this and so maybe they get assistance down the road. Of all the of all the news that restaurant business has been reporting on, um, of all the various topics and subject matters, is there something that surprised you the most um, from the existing coverage, or is there something um, that our audience should should uh, take a deeper dive uh, into some of the restaurant business content? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's good. I you know it's it's. I don't know. It's. I mean, nothing has been surprising to me, and everything has been surprising to me. It's just, I. I don't think. I mean, I think that the the the, the real shocking thing is just to see how fast this happened. Um, like, I, I mean, I don't know. Two weeks, two three weeks ago, we were still. You know, I was still planning. Uh, I was still working on my presentation for the conference next week. And uh, I didn't, you know, I mean, I knew that, I mean, I'd been covering the coronavirus for a while uh, because Starbucks and McDonald's and Yum! Brands have a big presence there. And um, and I knew what was happening, but you just sort of, I don't know, I mean, until it shows up here, you just don't really necessarily think about it. And then to see everything just happen so quickly. I mean, then I go back to that plus 11 down 41 in three days. Um it's it's just that really just is the best indication I can give you of 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 how much of a shock to the system this is for the for for the U.S. restaurant industry. It's like it's got thrown into a big icy bath, and um, so I mean, yeah, we've been doing our best to try to cover this as with with as many angles. I mean, we're we're talking to a lot of independent restaurants and and getting their stories. We're 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 talking to. Um, we're talking to executives and consultants and trying to get some tips on what people can do and 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 those sorts of things and um, yeah I mean the whole thing has been shocking really well Jonathan we uh, we appreciate your reporting um, and appreciate you jumping on the catch-up podcast uh, where can people uh, find your content and find you uh, to learn more about uh, the content that you're creating yeah, uh, thank you. It's uh, restaurantbusinessonline.com. Um, you could also follow me on Twitter at, at Jonathan Mays. Um, and uh, I, I do an awful lot there. And, and the podcast, The Deeper Dive, is on, uh, is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everything else. Jonathan, be well. Thanks, Jonathan. Stay All safe. Right. Take care. Take care. <laughs>